I'm Emma. I'm Shannon. And welcome to this podcast, Doesn't Exist. Yes. <laughs> I didn't like any of that. <laughs> is it, I was going to be like, is it Bama Rush season yet? Bama Rush talk? <laughs> We're just like, clapping in the corner. Screaming. <laughs> Golly. That was always scary. Remember me. that one time the guests at your home, uh, your ho- housewarming party were trying to explain like Southern Greek life to yes, the rest you of mean us? Annika. <laughs> it was Annika and oh AJ, AJ yeah, was too. <laughs> and the her. rest of us were just like, wow, what? <laughs> Especially Franco. I feel like your husband yeah. was like, I like he gets have the, no conception. He gets the concept, I think, but because it's so far away from the realm of what he experienced during college, it's just like... He's like, in my family thing, my like school family yeah. fraternity-like thing, we just hit each other with frozen fish. Well, because they were trying to break the egg saran-wrapped to the chest of the other person. Yes. So, uh, so, so silly of me. Well, yeah, sorry. <laughs> they don't just slap each other with frozen fish. There was a purpose. They are just like, it's Thursday! <laughs> <laughs> Except it's a Scottish accent. I can't do it's it. It's Thursday. <laughs> it's Thursday! It's Thursday! <laughs> it just turns out to be Irish. We oh. don't have any Scottish Yeah, accents. I don't know. I don't rightly know. All right. Well, welcome into the What madness. are we doing here? We're who are you? Two best friends. I already said I'm Emma. You yeah, should know I know, that. I know. But like, who oh, are we collectively? Yeah. We are two best friends, and we talk about the unsolved, the spooky, the uh, everything that we possibly can that doesn't have an answer. Uh huh. Um, we're not getting an answer unless you listen to like one episode. Um, we just gotta mix it up just, like a little bit. We vibe. We vibe. We hang. Um, sometimes Shannon gets us scared, but it's okay. Um, I don't know. Are you Im- embodying know. Noni this episode? I, I guess I am. You're like, it's spooky. It's get scary. your chitonis in this chair and listen to this episode. We went to Willie's. I found a great pair of shoes. They fit me perfectly, except they are a little tight. What is your boyfriend's name? You don't have a boyfriend. What's your girlfriend's name? Yeah, what? You don't have one? What the, what, Who do I need to talk to? I need to get you a friend. <laughs> I love, let the record reflect. I love Noni so much. My grandmother's a wonderful person. She's a hoot and, and a, a holler. holler. Here's to Noni. Holla, holla, holla. Nothing that you cannot do. I cannot. This is not the sorority episode, unless it no, is. It, what if this was all an elaborate lead and you were oh like, my gosh. the sorority house murder of oh Mississippi. That would have been an amazing thing, but I am not that smart. But that's no, not what's nothing, happening. It has nothing to do with a sorority. I am so okay, sorry. Okay, but if you were in a Greek life organization or some other sort of like secretive society <gasps> and you're willing to like break the code of silence tell and tell us something weird that happened... Or if there was a ghost or a weird tradition, please tell us. You can write in anonymously. We'll keep it private. I promise. Like you don't keep have you don't have to tell us what the sorority or fraternity is. No. But please, I want to know. I just love all that stuff. Me too. I'm fascinated by it, but I'm really glad that I never like did any of it. I I mean, okay, so if you also hi, we have a bingo card and social media and a bunch of other fun stuff at our oh, yeah. website. Go this find podcast it. doesn't exist. dot com. dot com. Uh, and if you are playing the bingo card, you can check off the college story because here we go. The year was twenty fifteen. Mm. Sweetbriar College was supposed to close. Mm-hmm. Emma and I had signed a lease on an apartment in Williamsburg, Virginia, yep, yep. because I was going to transfer to William and Mary, who didn't let me in as a first year. 
How rude. They waitlisted me. But as a transfer, so they did, were like, So did they for me. Come on over. I also transferred in. Yeah. They were like, you're going to have to repeat your junior year, but come on over. And I was like, bet. Fine. So my plan was to infiltrate your friend group, steal all your friends. Not steal them, but like Become make them my friends, friends too. Yeah. So that when you graduated, I would have friends. Built-in friends. Yeah. But then also I was contemplating rushing <gasps> Greek life. I think I remember you talking about this. I watched a lot of YouTube videos. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. Part of me that's trying to be optimistic is like, yes. And then I'll like have friends and it'll be like a straight shoot way. Like sisterhood is really important. Traditions are really important. Those are reasons I went to Sweetbriar. Whatever. They have symbols. They have colors. They have like chants and things. And you would watch the ABC Family Show Greek. I really had. That's like a foundational part of my psyche growing up experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one, I'm happy that we saved the school because then I didn't have to repeat my junior year, et cetera, et cetera. I got to stay at Sweetbriar, which was, you know, the main objective. But also I'm like, hmm, I feel like... All the optimism in the world is nice, but then also I feel like I might have gotten my soul my soul crushed, and that would have been During sad. Rush week, yeah, I would have been like, oh, okay, and then I would have just spent <laughs> I would have spent the next two years at William and Mary holding a grudge against the entire Greek life system, much as I still hold a mild little baby non vindictive grudge against the acapella group at Sweetbriar College. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I'm great. It's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. You're fine. We're all fine. We're fine. This is not a sorority podcast. What are we talking about today, Emma? We're talking about a, it's actually a listener suggestion. So thank Mm. you so much, Christian, for this listener suggestion. Oh, no. I loved this one. It has the same vibes as, like, the uh, Montauk Project. Okay. Um, Speaking of secretive societies. Exactly. Um, So let's just get right into it. We're going to talk today about the Dodliston messages. Oh. Do you know anything? Do you have any kind of concept? Because I had no clue about this. No. These are brand new to me, too. I have no idea. All right. So, the background. Look at you giving background. Yeah, it's very minor. (laughs) But thank you for the congratulations. In late 1984, Ken Webster and his girlfriend, Debbie, were living in and renovating an 18th century home and property named Meadow Cottage in England. Pause for a moment of dreaming. Yeah. Just, like, let's think about that. Like, it's just, I'm living my best of the holiday life Mm -hmm. in a cute little cottage. Yes, it's a little run down. Yes, it's a little smelly. But it's like, we're renovating it. We're doing it together. It's beautiful English countryside. Yeah. I love it. A cup of tea in the morning. At what point do we think other governments will start taking American women in as refugees? <laughs> Asking for myself. Asking for, not a friend, me. <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, I'm not sure they ever will. That's really rude. Yeah. That's it's really rude. Anyway. anyway but yeah, in back, this fantasy let's, let's world, I have a cottage. Yeah, let's draw back from the fantasy a little bit, though. Um, their little village of Dodliston in Cheshire, is close to the Welsh border. So we're far on the west side of Mm -hmm. England. While renovating, Ken also worked as an economics teacher at a nearby school and dabbled in music in his off time. He made sure that everyone knew that. He's multifaceted. Yeah, he contains multitudes. Their friend Nicola, Nick Bagley, was staying with them while she worked on comedy and performance sketches to get her equity card. 
because she needed some way to keep and store these sketches, Ken borrowed a BBC Micro Model B computer from the school, which only used floppy disks for storage and had the basic word processor on it named Edward. <laughs> Forget Microsoft Word. That is the best thing I've ever forget heard Clippy. in my life. Forget Clippy. Edward. Oh, never like, forget Clippy. Truly, though. Never R. forget R. Clippy. But, like, if Clippy and Edward were, like, besties. Word. Yeah, because, like, you edit words, Edward. That's amazing. Isn't it? It's That's great. That's so good. It makes me happy. This computer is essentially three pieces. The monitor, which is, of course, big and chunky with a small screen. Mm-hmm. A keyboard, again, big and chunky, on which the monitor sits on top of, mm-hmm. and a separate floppy disk reader that hooks into the system. The actual computer was part of the keyboard-like piece, so everything plugs into that. And for a better visualization of all of this, all of the pieces are tan and black, as they should be. It's 1984. Okay. So Ken brought this computer back home on loan from the school. These computers have become part of the curriculum in England at this point, and this was one of the first BBC micro models that had come out two years before. So these are like portable enough that if you can like plug them into a wall and turn them on because there's not anything, there's no modem, there's no any kind of like storage within okay. the computer itself. Well, and they're not connected to there's the no internet, internet at this point. Right. So it's just like a screen and yeah you can't even like like there was no like external storage yeah there was no intercommunication between computers either where it was like you could have a computer and then connect to another one and like type to each other like that didn't exist yet gotcha so nick was grateful and started using the computer right away storing her stories on the floppy disks these aren't long things or big things but it's like a floppy disk does not have all that much space so there was a handful of floppy disks that she was working with Now, Debbie and Ken were slowly getting this house renovated with a new can of paint here and some things knocked out there. And this all seems normal and within the realm of a homemaker making some changes Mm -hmm. or homeowner making some changes. I would follow them on TikTok. Exactly. Yes. Of the moment. But it became obvious very quickly that something or someone did not approve of these changes. Uh-oh. Spaghetti-o. Yep. Well, tins of maybe spaghettios, but also cat food and <laughs> other items around the house started to move and shift and even get stacked on top of each other without any of the home's occupants ever touching them. Chalk marks were left all over the walls, and a sudden drop in temperature would happen with no explanation. No. Yeah. I Maybe this is why I'm not interested in owning property. I'd like to be able to be like, nope, I'm breaking this lease. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, goodbye. They're like, oh, I want an easy just, way out. It's just that we have a faulty air conditioner. Nope. I'm like, nope. I need an easy way out. That temperature drops precipitously in this room. I must leave. <laughs> there were also instances of a sudden gust of air that was strong enough to lift a newspaper off the ground. So like, you know, a door closing kind of like gust of air. Mm-hmm. And the sound of footsteps and the feeling of a presence when only one person was home. Uh, no. Which, that's the part where I'm like, you know when you can feel eyes on you? Having that feeling while you're home alone? No thanks. Mm -mm. The most interesting of these occurrences were one where footsteps had been made in the dust of the old home on the wall. Oh. They were small and six-toed on each foot. What? Thinking it was a joke or a prank, Ken and Nick took a can of paint to the wall and covered these prints. They returned a day later in a different position on the same wall. Wow. So, 
Ew. Something's crawling up your wall with six toes. Don't like it. No. The trio, Debbie, Ken, and Nick, were starting to get spooked by all of this, but wrote off most of it as pranks the others weren't owning up to. Basically, Mm. like, you know, Ken, you must be doing this. Like, Mm -hmm. what are you doing? No, it's not me. It must be Debbie. No, it's gotta be Nick. She's writing all these stories. Whatever. Throughout all of this, Nick was still writing on the BBC Micro. The computer was set up downstairs in the kitchen and took up a good portion of the kitchen table because it's it's not large, but it's not small either. Mm -hmm. She would sit and write for a while and would sometimes forget to switch it off. One such instance, Nick had been writing and then left to visit a friend for a couple of hours. Ken, noticing she had done this hours after she left, went to go turn off the computer and be a little nosy. It's like, what's she working on? Ken looked at what was written on the screen and was surprised to find something that didn't sound at all like an acting sketch. Instead, when he opened Edward, he found the following. Quote, Ken, Deb, Nick. True are the nightmares of a person that fears. Safe are the bodies of the silent world. Turn, pretty flower, turn towards the sun, for you shall grow and sow but the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. Get out your bricks. Pussycat, pussycat went to London to seek fame and fortune. Faith must not be lost, for this shall be your redeemer. End quote. Okay. As an English major, I can make no sense of this whatsoever. It's very fortune cookie haiku. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not a fan of the pussycat, pussycat went to London because it, it, I don't know, it has some kind of, like, ring to a nursery rhyme to it that mm-hmm. I'm, for some reason, forgetting, and I don't like it. Ken was confused. Why were all their names on it? What was Nick writing? When he questioned her about it when she got back, she said she hadn't written the weird and indecipherable poem. Debbie had no clue what it was about, either. Once again spooked, but unable to explain it, the trio left it alone, and the computer was returned to the school soon after. Christmas went off without a hitch and very little paranormal activity. The three had their own holiday plans, but all came back to the house ready to keep renovating and working in the new year. Nick asked Ken if she could again borrow a computer from the school to keep going after her equity card. Mm -hmm. Ken didn't see an issue and borrowed another BBC Micro from the school for her to use again at the kitchen table. Nick kept working on her scenes and sketches, but still would sometimes forget to shut off the computer and left it open one night after finishing her work and going to bed. The next morning, when she went back to open her document, she found a different document titled R-E-A-T-E, REIT, on the floppy disk. She opened it and read the following, quote, I write on behalf of many. What strange words thou speak, although I must confess that I hath also been ill-schooled. Sometimes, methinks, alterations are somewhat barful, for they break main asleep in mine bed. Thou art goodly man who hath fanciful woman who dwell in mine home. I hath no want to affray, for only scythe mine half-witted antic has ripped a twain mine bound hath I been wreathed a night. I hath seen many alterations, lasty charge, house and thou home, tis a fitting place, with lights which devil maketh, and costly things, that only mine friend Edmund Gray can afford, or the king himself. T'was a great crime to hath bribed mine house. Signed, L.W. End quote. Now the trio is extremely confused. 
Who was LW? Who was he writing on behalf of? Were they communicating with the past? Because the words on the page seemed so old, and none of them really understood what was being said. It mm-hmm. looked like it was, like, old English. They had a guess that whoever was writing this was referring to them as the, as the ones making the many alterations, and that the computer was the lights which the devil maketh. With the strange things happening around the house and the previous weird poem, the three decided to let a friend in on their experiences, even when Ken was still convinced it was a prank. He was like, Nick, you gotta stop writing this stuff. Why are you trying to convince me that, you know, Mm -hmm. this isn't real? Or that this is real. And she's like, I am not writing this. I was literally in bed. Right. Ken decided to talk to one of his friends and colleagues at the school, Peter Trinder, who complied with the request to look a little closer at the messages and see if he could figure it out. Peter deduced that the message was written in Middle English, most likely 16th century, and had the same grammatical inflection that Chaucer's writing has. Okay. I mean, every good English boy knows his Chaucer, I guess. After get- <laughs> Let us know, Crypt King. <laughs> Seriously. Do you know your Chaucer? After getting this answer from someone who wasn't in the house, the three decided to try and reply. Oh. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. And so... In the same document, the trio constructed a message that asked who LW was and what they should do next. They left the computer on and went to check it the next day. There was a reply, and thus began a trans-century correspondence as they learned that LW was a man named Lucas Wainman who lived in Meadow Cottage during the reign of King Henry VIII while he was married to Catherine Parr, the one who lived. Oh. This would mean that Lucas was living in Meadow Cottage between the years of 1543 and 1547. That's cool. The communication between the trio of of 1985 and the man from the 1540s continued for almost a year just like this. Oh, okay. It's kind of sweet. They would write out their message and wait for a response. It would almost always happen a day later. While they waited, the paranormal activity did not stop. The stacking of cans, the walking, the feeling of a presence, all continued. Oh. Which I don't like. I was going to say, I was like, I would love to have a trans-centurial pen pal. Right? But not with the creepy stuff. Yeah, you can leave the ghost stuff at home. No, it's already in your home. That's a problem. Take it back. Take it back. Over the course of this year, they all learned quite a lot about each other. At first... Lucas was mad about the renovations and the noises he kept hearing. He was experiencing the same paranormal activity that the trio were. Oh. Essentially, each thought that the other was the ghost. Plot twist. Yeah. So, like, he's in 1540-whatever being like, what are these sounds? Turns out they both just have a badger problem. (laughs) (laughs) It's a mongoose in the wall. Like, making noise. It's just a mongoose in the wall. Mongoose. Mongoose? are the walkers? Lucas reveals that he kept livestock on the land around the house and had once been married with a son, but both his wife and his child died in the plague of 1517. Get vaccinated. Truly. He had lived alone ever since. He also claimed that he had studied at Jesus College, Oxford, but later backtracked and claimed it was actually Brasnose College. He said he had been forced to leave the latter because he failed to expunge the Pope's name from documents, because Anglicans. 
He also claimed to have met Desiderius Erasmus while at university, a man who is considered a very important fixture of history during the Northern Renaissance. Mm -hmm. He was a Dutch philosopher and a Catholic theologian, so a supreme scholar. Regardless, the fact that Lucas had met him was a big deal. He was on par with the king and his court in terms of celebrity. Like, everyone at this point knew who he was. Mm -hmm. And that's hard to do when, you know, not everybody reads. Mm -hmm. And, you know, TV doesn't exist, but yeah. Mm -hmm. It seemed, too, that Lucas had the ability to see into the 1980s, while Ken, Debbie, and Nick didn't have the ability to see into the past. How confusing. I know. Imagine. You're like, I would hate that. You're like, I have candles and a fireplace, and I have to go outside and do my business in a hole. What are you wearing? What is that sound? What? A woman is in pants. What? The devil? What the devil? He could see their renovations and called them out for it, saw all three of them, and could even touch things in their timeline. Well, Because of this, Ken decided to leave out a photograph of Erasmus's portrait, which disappeared the next day. And Lucas commented on it in their correspondence, saying, yes, that's the man that I met. Wow. He also left out a photo of a car that was similar to the one Ken owned, and it, w- it was returned scorched around the edges, and a message was received the same day it was returned that read, quote, I have found your picture of the cart, but it is a crude thing, for without the horse, it won't go far. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> How cute. Yes. Also, I feel like the messages about the renovations give me big, maybe you've seen it online, but a couple or somebody who's like redoing a house and they took down tile or paneling and someone on the drywall yeah. had put a picture that was like, hi, we're the, the songs. We owned this house in 1987. If you found this, clearly you don't like what we did with the bathroom. What 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 did we what, do wrong? What like, went wrong? That that would be totally me. Yes, if I, I would, ever did that. I would absolutely. leave so many secret little messages and stuff, but of like, all right, it was my vibe, but I guess it's not yours. Good luck. Meanwhile, <laughs> like, if I ever have to pull up this carpet down here and put more car- like different carpet down, I'm definitely drawing like a pentagram. A pentagram. pentagram. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you will not put it over here. Oh, that's exactly where I was going to put it, but okay. No. I'll put it underneath the couch. I don't want to be sucked into whatever... Portal we Portal open. chaotic situation right, you're, right, you're going to create by accident. Fine. White lady. <laughs> White ladies dabbling in the occult. Always a bad sign. <laughs> Blanquita. Blanquita. Noni's no. like, no. Noni said no. Well, nothing from the 1540s ever appeared. So it wasn't like he was exchanging anything. He Mm -hmm. was just able to take things back with him and then sometimes give them back to the 1980s. Okay. Debbie had started to feel a presence more strongly in the house. Tapping sounds, hair pulling, and actual physical pressure on her body Mm. for a while before she began dreaming of their new 1540s friend. Whoa. The dreams were well-structured and pretty concrete to her, feeling like visions rather than dreams. She said she started to interact with Lucas, not just see him, after a while, and even made candles with him. Aww. Yeah. Then, one day, they started to receive messages from someone else. Uh Uh-oh. A friend of Lucas. 
Oh, no. Lucas had apparently been taken into custody over the machine he was using to communicate with the trio, which, to everyone else, was obviously of the devil. Ah. The local sheriff, Thomas Fowlhurst, was holding him on alleged witchcraft. Uh-huh. See, I mean, I obviously. saw this coming. Yeah, yes. Obviously. While communicating with this friend, the friend lets slip that Lucas is actually a pseudonym. But they can get no more information out of him before the sheriff starts to communicate with them. Oh. The trio try to convince him to let Lucas go, and it seems to work. And Lucas returns and explains that he is now under house arrest in order to keep the line of communication open. So apparently curiosity is more important Mm. than killing him for witchcraft. Okay. Ken and the others continue to ask Lucas questions about this, letting it drop at some point that they are from 1985. Throughout this whole time, they hadn't told him Mm. what year it was. Lucas then says, quote, You said your time be 1985. Me thought you was also from 2109, like your friend, whom didst bring uh, bring Leem's Boist prey, end quote. Leem's Boist roughly translates to box of lights, and so they assume that he means the computer. But the confusion deepens as the trio realize that they are not the only ones who have been in contact with Lucas. Oh. So now there are two things to contend with outside of the overall weirdness of the situation. Lucas's life is possibly at stake because of witchcraft. And the fact that there was a third party who might be aware of everything happening who wasn't communicating. The trio decided to try and write whoever might be from 2109. And so they simply open a document and say, quote, calling 2109, end quote, and wait. The next day, they received the following message, quote, try to understand that you three have a purpose that shall in your lifetime change the face of history. We, 2109, must not affect your thoughts directly, but give you some sort of guidance that will allow room for your own destiny. All we can say is that we are all part of the same God, whatever he is. End quote. Bro, this is so cool. So many things are happening. This is why it felt to me like Montauk Project, where there's just so much going on. I mean. I love it. With all of this happening, communication with Lucas drops in and out as he is sent to trial. He is kept alive to keep the computer or light box working it seems. And once this communication is reestablished with Lucas after his trial, Ken and the others try to figure out Lucas's real name to see if they can verify who he is in 1985 with Peter Trinder's help. This is giving me like timeless vibes to tell yes. the show. Because part of me wants to be like, tell them how to cure smallpox. Like yeah, send them, them something. good information. But then it's like, well, will that mess up the course of history as you know it well yeah so they're trying to figure out his name but 2109 starts to intervene and change messages delete messages subtly change wording etc and so lucas and ken decide to work outside the system because we already know that lucas can reach into the 1980s Mm, and take mm -hmm, things mm -hmm. so they start to use paper and charcoal which Ken leaves out for Lucas to use to write messages. Mm -hmm. Through this paper system, Lucas reveals that his real name is Thomas Harden. 
He says that he was the dean of the chapel at Brasnos, but was expelled in 1538 for refusing to remove the name of the Pope from a book in the chapel, which was against the law after the break with the Catholic Church. He had been given both the light box and the alias from who he referred to as, quote, one from 2109. The correspondence via the BBC Micro continues to be monitored by 2109, but they soon realize that Thomas slash Lucas has revealed his real name and they are not happy about it. They want all communication to be happening on the computer so that they can monitor it. Mm -hmm. They demand that Ken and Thomas slash Lucas stop disrupting their, quote, experiments, end quote. Mm. Ken was starting to get fed up by the lack of detail and clarity, and so decided to invite the Society for Psychical Research to come and investigate the paranormal activity they had been experiencing and the messages themselves. A team came three times and always left having experienced and seen nothing. Eventually, Lucas communicates that he is being forced from his home. He will have to leave the computer behind. Basically, full-on Frankenstein, mobs coming for him, because they're like, devil! And he's like, I have to leave. In his final message, he says that he will write a book about everything that had happened between them and the light box and leave it somewhere for the future to find. Webster says he will write one too. Lucas ends with, quote, It is good to know that all will change and there, will, there are true men to follow like Ken and Peter. Though 400 years is a long time and there is much to happen to mankind, it is sad that men must learn righteousness from their ugly ways. End quote. And they never hear from him or 2109 ever again. But where's the book, Emma? At the end of all of this were 300 messages and no explanation. Unfortunately, not all of the messages were saved, and so only a third of them made it into the book that Ken did write, titled The Vertical Plane. As in, like, time is vertical. Time's a flat circle, basically. Mm -hmm. While compiling this book, Ken employed his friend Peter to analyze the messages for correct vocabulary, to try and identify and verify them, and contacted an assistant librarian at Brasnos, who didn't find a Lucas Wayman at the college at the time, but did find a Thomas Harden. After the book was published and the house was sold, the three roommates went mostly their separate ways. But all of them, including their friend Peter, continue to this day to claim that their experience was genuine. We'll get to theories in a second, but I, I want to know your <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> but didn't Thomas say he was going to write a book? He did. Where? Don't know. Why? Don't know. Emma! I'm sorry! <laughs> uh, all right, all right, all right, right. So let's get into some theories. <laughs> let's, go to, let's go to our theories. So there are a few potentials for this one, as there are multiple timelines we're working with and a few different people. So let's start with the simplest, which is, weirdly, ghosts. Ghosts. So there were some paranormal reported instances, as we discussed before. The feeling of a presence, physical pressure, cold spots, pulled hair, stacking cans of cat food. Maybe they were just messy people, and Lucas was like, hi, can we, like, do this, please? The footprints, etc., all of these are considered a part of the paranormal space, but the thing that pushes it over the edge of a usual haunting is the technology aspect. Eric Davis, author of Technosis, with a G, um, Myth, Magic, and Mysticism in the Age of Information, says that the Dodliston messages are part of an age-old trend. Quote, Modern communications 
technologies have always been haunted. The spiritualists of the 19th century believed that they had discovered an occult telegraph that allowed them to talk to loved ones in the hereafter. So it shouldn't be surprising that home computers were perceived as portals to other realms, especially early on when the emerging forms of communication and self-reflection were still novel and disruptive, end quote. So the idea that a ghost or a poltergeist could use this as a means of communication, like some side of sort of like high-tech Ouija board, is not out of the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Like these technologies are so new, and we already know that ghosts attach themselves to any kind of frequency or energy that is available, and we know that those machines give off a lot, and so they can use it for right. their own. Or like means. when the thing where if somebody dies near like a television. Mm-hmm the tv will like turn on and that's like their spirit Mm -hmm. has or their energy has been like cap captured or in the static it takes their shadow yeah yeah full-on like wild the ring anyway the ghost theory would also help explain why lucas was being was able to interact with the trio in 1985 and takes things from the table and write on the paper in the present 1985 and why the dreams that Debbie had seem to be moments of interaction with him. Well, the poltergeist visions are not unusual, they're just not often. So it would make sense that if this is like a poltergeist or a ghost activity, those are different. So like ghost is not connected to any kind of like supernatural spirit. Mm-hmm. They are or were once human and spirits are then left on earth. Um, whereas poltergeist are much more of the, like, angels and demons realm of things. But in any case, this kind of activity isn't unusual for either of these things, and it would make the most sense that if Debbie's having these visions, quote-unquote dreams, um, with Lucas in them, having a, having a ghost enter dreams is not unheard of in mm-hmm. this paranormal realm. The ghost or poltergeist could have been using some kind of psychokinesis on all of the home's occupants to construct this as a fantasy of who they were talking to, but it feels like too many people and too much energy to do this well. But this only attempts to explain the interaction with the past, not with 2109. Mm-hmm. And so ghost theories kind of quashed mm-hmm. because we don't necessarily have the realm of possibility for ghosts from the future right that would mean like if it's a ghost it's a yes and like there's a ghost and something else is happening exactly so with 2109 involved the theories of time slips time portals and even time travel come into play time travel always an option always an option and this is our next theory lucas claims that quote one with a capital o from 2109, came and gave him the light box, which he uses to communicate with 1985 and 2109. So there must be some level of time travel that the future was using to get to the distant past and create this link. Mm-hmm. But then why were Nick, Debbie, and Ken able to interact? They didn't have 2109 drop off a box for them to use. Right. Well, they already had a light box at their disposal, quote unquote, mm-hmm. a computer. And 2109, having set up a time link with the 1540s in the same location with a similar device, wouldn't have necessarily been able to stop another link from appearing, right? Mm. That seems kind of logical in the like they just like thing we're hopped following. on the existing. Yeah, it's line. the the energy is 
It's a party line. Party line? Yeah. I love it. Ghost party. What? <laughs> Ain't no party like a ghost party. Because a ghost party don't stop. Ever. We don't have to sleep. But then the question of a time slip appears. As Lucas is able to see the house as it is in 1985, but the others can't see or interact with him in their timeline. A time slip is usually one-sided and unnoticed by those within the time visited. I wonder how many time slips happen in Colonial Williamsburg that we're just unaware of in general, <laughs> but that's a completely different sidetrack. I, one of my favorite things about growing up in Colonial Williamsburg was that you would walk to, like, the bookstore or, like, the supermarket, and there would just be somebody in, like, colonial garb on their cell phone standing in line with, like, their bag of bread. Yep. I was like, yep, this is normal. When I worked at the bookstore, we had someone who worked at Mount Vernon. Yep, love it. And she would come in in her full, like, Martha Washington looking get up. I love it. I love it. Good But I, I can imagine if there but was But very ever... confusing if you were a time slipper. Yeah. Because you see everyone else looking like you, and but there's a whole cohort of people who Confusing, don't. but also helpful, because you don't stand out. That's fair. Like, you don't feel like... Like, if you were the doctor from Doctor Who, you yeah. just, like, we without smart. changing your clothes. Anyway, so it also gets at the question of the continuous versus simultaneous timelines. Mm -hmm. If this is a continuous timeline, then they really are interacting with the past. But the simultaneous timeline theory, or, like, the time is a flat circle, means that they are interacting with a different timeline, but it's concurrent to theirs within their same universe. Essentially, it's like a multiverse situation. Mm -hmm. I know it's confusing. <laughs> I tried my best to explain it. It's okay. How uh, dare you not explain I'm metaphysical so physics? Talk to Dr. Strange. Whatever. Uh, I don't want to. I really don't. I don't like him. Whatever the actual version, the fact that time is either altered or jumped through is essential to this story. But because of this, there is always the theory it's actually a hoax. No. <laughs> she had, it, we just stop there? Yeah. We're done? Okay. I reject. <laughs> I reject that it's a hoax. So it's too cool to be is, fake. It is really fun. There were three people in a really old cottage in a very small village. The likelihood that one of them took on such a convoluted prank isn't impossible if you were that bored. They committed to the bit. Truly. But since all of them had such different experiences, and not all of them were present when the messages were received, the configuration of who it might have been follows, it was all of them, mm -hmm. it was none of them, it was one of them. It was two of them. Like, it's, like, the, the possibility. Thanks for narrowing that down, Emma. <laughs> it, I, I know. It doesn't really narrow it down. But even still, allowing a friend to get involved, talking to the Society of Psychical Research, allowing a book to be written, all seem a little far to take a prank. Yeah. That's a way too much commitment to a bit where I'm like, I... Yeah. I could never. At I that get, point, it's a deathbed get, confession. I get too excited at how successful I had been that I would be like... Did you, did I would you give it? it away. I'd be like, did you remember that one part? I thought of that. Yeah. I'm so I'm smart. So smart. <laughs> <laughs> I want so much validation that I couldn't do I it. I could never hold out for my deathbed. No, Are you joking? Absolutely not. The question of what the motive would be for the hoax is still in the air. Because if it's between the three... Goofing. It's just straight up goofing. It's boofing and goofing. 
but there was no real reason to conduct the hoax financially, which is usually what happens in these um. cases. The house was still being renovated. There wasn't really anything to gain from the hoax itself, if that's what it was, that you were wanting money to continue. Re- like, it's not... Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. Right. You need a lot more evidence. But he didn't write the book until after they moved out, right? I think so. I'm not quite sure where on the timeline he started writing the book. Mm. But the idea that someone else was conducting the hoax on the trio, possible, but seems unlikely. Like, there was no... No one broke into their house in the middle of nowhere to type this up. No one gave them an extra floppy disk. Like, Mm -hmm. no one was leaving things around. Like, there was almost always someone present in the house, but it was never the same person when the messages were received. Sometimes all of them were there. Sometimes two of them Mm -hmm. were there. Sometimes none of them were there. But, like, there was never really a consistency to who was around. Well, it's not like Nick was taking the floppy disk and, like, working on it in a computer lab uh, somewhere. Like, no. the library or anything like that. No. It was just the one. So, let's talk about the computers for a second. Computers during this time were still fairly new as household things. The school had a bank of computers that teachers and students could check out and use, which is what Ken did for Nick. But these computers were not capable of keeping information on themselves. You had to save everything to a floppy disk. If you turned off the computer without saving anything onto a floppy disk, it would simply disappear. Because mm-hmm. there's nowhere for it to keep it. For s- someone to conduct a hoax on the three, they would have had to have been in the house during the times the messages were received. Or alter the floppy disks and switch them out. But it was almost always that they would keep the floppy disk in the computer mm-hmm. in order to make sure that their previous message was still there. So that the other person could read it. Right. That was the whole point. Yeah. They're not, like, writing it, deleting it. Right. Like, and waiting for a response. That's, it, it was basically a continuous message. So, an analysis of the language, however, further points to this being something other than paranormal. Dr. Laura Wright, an English lecturer from Cambridge University, analyzed the available texts in an episode of Out of This World in 1996. 12 years after the first message was received. I will say, this episode and the one following that finishes this story are both on YouTube. I have linked the first in the show notes. The 1990s of it all is just great. I love it so much. Great. She said that the verb structure that Lucas used was unlike anything a person of that period would write. When she was asked if it could be a hoax, she said, quote, if it's meant to look like early modern English writing, it doesn't even look close, end quote. She continued her analysis with a look at the frequency of adjectives appearing in front of nouns between Lucas's and Ken's writing and found an almost identical frequency, 26% for Lucas and 26.6% for Ken. I'm not quite sure what this point, like, what this would add to. I feel like English, you have adjectives before certain words on purpose, we, there's a very specific structure in English. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen that, like, I think it was a Tumblr post. Mm-hmm. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm going to try and explain it. Okay. Which is that, you know, descriptive words have a certain order that they go in in the English language right. that native English speakers understand without having to be told or taught. Like we say, like, the big hairy brown bear instead yes. of, like, the, the, brown, the brown big hairy, hairy big, bear. Yeah. Like. <laughs> they have a, it has a very specific yeah. structure that it has to fall into. 
And most non-native speakers don't do this. Mm-hmm. This isn't something that just appeared mm-hmm. in English. It's a trend that's been happening since English has been written down and we can analyze that. So I'm not quite sure what the percentages themselves mean. This is what she reported, but I'm not sure what the 100% is. Like, I don't know what the right. amount of what she was looking at well, it's like with too. the Shakespeare analysis, yeah. like math, they do stuff and yeah, it I means mean, things. It means things. <laughs> <laughs> math. They do stuff. stuff. And, and it, it means, means things. things. Uh, not us making a slogan for the math department. <laughs> for the math community. I love it. I, <sighs> okay, so it. This could point to Ken being the author of the messages, but of course Ken denies this, claiming he was often not present when messages were received. He would usually take a drive while he waited for replies to their messages because he was still working on this house. Mm-hmm. And so he was. it was like, you know, they would come home, receive a message after work, they would write a message, and he'd be like, you know what, I've got stuff to do, I'm going to go for a drive. And while he was gone, messages would be received. So Good. I mean... How true that is, I have no clue. It's literally just him saying it, but... Good, though. Yeah. I've never been so bummed. I'm so some, sorry. That something might be a hoax. But some of it still doesn't make sense to me. But we're going to get into a little bit more of, like, could it be a hoax, but... But at this point, I'm like, there's so much going on, it feels like it would have had to have been all three of them to construct this. Yeah. In order to make anything make sense. The three of them are just really good at playing Dungeons and Dragons. Truly. World building. So, the consistency of the story also questions its truthfulness. Lucas first says that he is ill-educated, that he is Mm ill-schooled. Then, he says he was at Jesus College, which wasn't founded until the 1570s. Oh. And then backtracks to say he was actually at Brasnos, which was founded much earlier and would make sense within his timeline. Mm -hmm. When asked about this, Ken says that he suspects that 2109 gave Lucas a story to use if he was contacted by anyone other than them. It seemed like they knew that this was going to happen. And that it was a test to see if they were really from the future, as it would have been false information in his timeline of the 1540s. The same goes for his name and some of his sentence structure. Lucas, apparently, in an attempt to make it easier to communicate with his friends in 1985, would simplify his sentences and word choice. Ken would then, quote, translate it into modern English to better understand it, using a dictionary of Middle English words to do so, further muddling the words with interpretation, it seems. Which is a possibility. Shannon gave a middle thumbs up, like, Thumbs up to the side. Well, I was like, yay! Yay. And then I was like, oh, Oh, muddling. Never mind. Yeah, middle English. (laughs) The only muddling we like is fruit in the bottom of a glass. Correct. Muddle English. The only thing, it seems, that would save this story and make it unequivocally true would be finding that book that Lucas said he would write and hide. It has yet to be found. Let's go rip up that field. Truly, though... I want to know, like, because he said that in his last mess, one of his last messages, that he his plan was to go back to Brasno's college and see if they would accept him for like refuge, basically. Right. 
So, and he was a he was a chaplain, a, a cleric or whatever. We gotta go to the old jail. We gotta go to Brasnos. We gotta go to the chapel there because it's where he worked. We gotta we gotta go. We gotta go right now. Okay. Bye. <laughs> We're in England. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Yes. When we enter England, we immediately get English accents. They give them to you upon arrival. That'd be great. That would be amazing. Can I please have a British accent? I would, I would love Give me that. it. Give me it. Essex. Essex. <laughs> I feel like there has to be a BuzzFeed quiz. Like, which accent are you? Oh, yeah. I'd love that. I mean, I feel like my ancestors would be really offended if I was... English? Had a, had a British accent. Yeah. They'd be like... So would mine. Both sides. Both sides would be. Yeah. They'd be like, um, excuse you? Excuse you? We starved in the fields for what? For nothing, obviously. You ungrateful little thing. I just trying to let you live my life. I'm leave me sorry. alone, ancestors. Oh, I sound like <laughs> Eddie Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your cow. All right, Mushu. There we go. I could I could only think of Eddie Murphy. Eddie I could Murphy. not think of Mushu, he the actual is, character. He is No. Okay. No. Moving right along. Yes, yeah, so true, false, time travel, hoax, ghosts. What particular vibe you going for? You think it's all true? Or you want it all to be true? I want it to be yeah. true. I want the book to be true. Do you want to hear something sad? No. I'm gonna tell you anyway. I know. In order for us. To make it to 2109, oh dang! We'd man. have to be 115 and 116 years old. I don't want to live that long. Like I do, but I don't. I want to know. Like, what is happening? Like, is it going to be some like regime of government that's like, what's the point? It's just this makes me want to go watch the show Timeless and the movie. Timeline starring <gasps> Paul Walker and Gerard Butler. <laughs> it's on HBO Max. I well, have it, dude. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. While the I'm next episode whole... is just a watch along commentary with us. <laughs> like you press play at the same YouTube, time. YouTube, man. Uh, oh, yeah, guys, go to YouTube. We have YouTube videos up with all of the transcripts from we... past episodes. They're not all of them. No, we're no. working on Some them. Of them. I am a very busy person. <laughs> yeah. We don't get paid for this. But we're getting there. And it's fun, and we love it, and I'm sorry if the background makes your head hurt, but it's what I got. Sorry. Sorry. Um, so, I know that we do not have a mailbag moment today. Oh, yeah. But instead, I have a question for all y'all to answer. Okay. But I want your answer on air. Okay. What historical figure would you like to have been? Not met, not have dinner with. Who would you want to be? Emma Goldman. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm nothing if not consistent. I knew you were going to say that. She's so cool. She is cool. She was like an anarchist, polygamist, communist advocate for women and workers' rights. Yep. I mean, what's not to love? And she's in two different musicals. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She is. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. What? Ragtime and uh, tin types. Tin types. Thank you. I couldn't remember the She's name. She's not in Assassins, I don't think. I haven't. Maybe. 
familiarized myself with that show. I don't know. I saw it, but what what's your answer? Um, I have two. Of course. Yeah, because I'm the most indecisive person on the planet. What a Gemini. Mm. Uh huh. Correct. That that sounded more dismissive than I meant it to be. Uh huh. I would have loved to have been Queen Elizabeth the first. Oh. Just for the like. Of it all. Uh huh. Or Amelia Earhart. Oh. I'm feeling like you know first woman to. You know, yeah. most famous for... We love that. I'm I'm feeling it. Also, like, then I wouldn't know what happened to me. And I would know if I were Shakespeare or not, but... Yeah. And then you could get a light box from the devil and write into this podcast... Yes! Like all of our friends are going to do when they send us their dreams and their answers about which historical character they want to be. Truly, like, if, you, if you've if you thought about this, like, I used to believe when I was a kid that I was the reincarnation of Anastasia. Of course you did. I'm not even joking. <laughs> you special snowflake. I was such you a special snowflake. Four. I was such a special snowflake. Do you like, though, that I, that isn't the person I chose because she actually died a horrible death? Like, I'm like, mm. Yeah. But I chose Amelia Earhart just fine. <laughs> yeah, you want to get eaten by crabs? Sure. Okay. But I don't want to watch my family die in front of me. That's fair. So. That's. Sorry. Anastasia's really sad, but. Yeah. The musical's good-ish. The movie's better. The movie is the bomb diggity. Yeah. But I have a friend who's actually in the tour right now. So well, we should cool. go see it anyway. Cool. But yeah. Answer my question. Tell us your stories. Give us all the deets. Let us know. Let me love you. And I will love you forevermore. I can't remember the words. Yeah, I was like, I don't think Josh said the words. I don't remember. I don't remember most of the words. Well, hopefully you remember. This podcast doesn't exist. I realized that I was like doing this with my shoulders. They were up in my ears. And so I was like, I have to push them down. Why? I was like, posture. As I sit here like a whole potato. I'm a potato. potato. (laughs) Thank you.